Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and I get to have conversations with people in all aspects of sports, and this is my favorite thing I get to do, so I hope you guys enjoy hanging out with me. Today, I got to hang out with Christopher Chris. I guess we'll go with Chris Williams. He's a partner at Pro Capita Partners. He was a two-time Big East champion in track and field at Villanova. Chris is really interesting. What they do at Pro Capita and how they specifically try to help athletes with their wealth management is a lot of fun to listen to how he's been able to do it what he does and and really what the firm does um, they have some NBA players former NBA players current NBA players that sit on their board so it was really interesting to hear him talk about what they do and how they do it and I really hope you guys enjoy this episode But today we have a new friend of mine. I guess we met like a couple weeks ago now. We've been chatting a little bit. Hopefully you can help each other out. We have Chris P. Williams. I had the P, you know, obviously Chris B. That's too easy. But a partner at Pro Capital Partners and is a two-time Big East champion in track and field at Villanova. Chris, how you doing today, man? Great, thanks. Yeah, it's a great Friday. And Michael, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. I don't know if this is getting released on a Friday, but I hope they can feel our Friday energy. And that way, <laughs> if it is released on like a Tuesday, people can really like be like, wow, this is such a great Tuesday. Best Tuesday yeah, ever. Yeah, we'll keep the energy up. That's, that's all we got, man. That's all we got. So um, Chris has some really cool things, obviously working in finance, working with athletes, um, alternative investments. I'm excited to talk about exactly what the heck that is. Uh, but first, first question I ask everybody is, where does your love of sports come from? Oh, man. I, uh, I started running cross country in, in seventh grade. And, and you loved that? A, I, I did. I loved racing. Just the concept of racing one-on-one. And it also helps when you're, you're good at it and you start oh. to see early, early success. So, um, yeah, in my, my first cross country race, there were around 250 seventh and eighth graders competing. And I remember I finished in the, uh, the top 15. And it was unexpected, had no expectations going in. And from there, my coach at the time pulled me aside, who happened to be the uh, varsity basketball coach, actually, of my high school. And he, he said, I, I think you should stick with this. This is, this is your sport and this is your calling. That's awesome, man. Were you a basketball player as well in high school? I, I was dreaming or, of it. Yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was hoping I could be on it. I ended up playing in seventh and eighth grade. Um, also played a lot of tennis. But um, ultimately, when you're... 14, 15, you start to have to make a decision as to what sport you're really going to focus on. And mm -hmm. track and field just kept going on the up and up. And that was, that was what I decided to go with. Yeah, man. I mean, there's so many different disciplines within track and field. There's so many different things that you could do. Um, you know, obviously, again, thinking about college, like, I mean, I don't know if you were capable of playing. If you think you stuck with basketball, you would have been capable of playing in college. But again, you went to Villanova. Um, Two-time Big East <laughs> champion, as I said, that's uh, that's nothing to shy at. Um, you know, I'm here in the New Jersey area, so very familiar with Villanova. I had some friends from high school go there. Um, I have a friend now that goes to not Villanova, but it's like right next door or something. So he's in the area constantly. It's a cool place. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know why does everyone call it Villanova though. I never, I never really got that. Yeah, some people call it if you're going to be extremely cheesy, Villa oh so fun. 
But, oh, um, <laughs> okay. So we have a little back and forth there. All right. That's good yeah, to know. Yeah. See, I never heard that one, but I'm yeah, assuming no. I don't, I don't talk to enough people that went there, I guess. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I have to say Villanova is, is a little bit more on the strict side when it comes to partying. Um, and in order to go to a bar, you have to go about a mile off campus towards Bryn Mawr. But as a track and field athlete and as most athletes, you're, you're really not going out that often. You're, mm-hmm. you're exhausted. I was running 75, 80 miles a week. And at times just wanted to have a 10 p.m. bedtime. Um, and there's especially nothing wrong when you with have that. Your, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And all of a sudden you have your, uh, your long run, which would be a 12 to 15 mile run on Sunday morning. So going out on Saturday night, that was, that was a choice you could make. And uh, at times when you would make that choice, you would pay for it in the, in the morning. It was usually a bad choice to make. Yeah, 12 to 15 miles. Um, I, I ran a couple 5Ks and that's about probably about as far as I'm going to go. Maybe a 10K down the road, but that's... That's that might be much. See here, I was say, thinking you were going to say you only have to go a mile off campus, and that's what like a five minute run for you guys. So that would have been nice and easy. But I understand the other side of that argument as well, which is pretty funny. Um, I always like to ask, uh, you know, track and field athletes, cross country athletes, runners in general. Um, the uh, I, I was a baseball player. I mean, I played in high school for a little bit. It was a lot of fun. It's been my favorite sport ever since I was little. But it's always funny when. talking to track and field athletes is you know your sport was the punishment for every other sport you did something wrong what do you do you're gonna go run um no you guys did everything right and you got to run more for it so that's always just something that i've thought is a is always a very interesting and that that's why runners to me at least are always just like a little different than the rest of the athletes because you just were punishing yourself constantly it it is it's 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 weird It, it honestly doesn't feel like a punishment at times because it's it's an interesting form of bonding. It's um, at times when you're injured, you end up realizing how much more you appreciate the, the running culture mm-hmm. and just the conversations and the inside jokes that actually form from running together for 45 minutes or an hour. Um, uh, there were so many times when I remember specifically being injured my junior year and I felt like I missed out on all the gossip, all the inside uh. jokes because I was in the pool swimming for 45 minutes by myself. And even, even then I would tell my friends on the swimming team, I'm like, don't you guys miss being able to communicate? And part of the storytelling helps the run go by so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were like, yeah, they're like, we'd rather be in the pool and not running. So maybe that's just my runner's bias perspective, but I was going to say that's at least my enjoyment. It's, it's looked at as a punishment from my perspective, but as you said, that's what you enjoyed. So that's kind of, you know, obviously not looked at as a punishment from your perspective. Um, and at Villanova. So this is, this was close to me. You were coached by a four-time Olympian, Marcus O'Sullivan. Um, what is it like kind of seeing some being, being taught by some, someone who's had the most incredible potential experiences in sports, really like spending time with you one-on-one and really letting those experiences come through them to you so that you can learn. Um, I mean, that's just has to be an incredible opportunity that you had for however long, you know, he was your coach for. Yeah. Oh man. Marcus was awesome. He's, he's still the coach to this day at Villanova university and also was as a Villanova university alumni. Um, yeah. Marcus being a four time Olympian and has run over 100 sub four minute miles in his career. He is, he is remarkable and uh, is, the main reason, the primary reason why I actually attended Villanova. So it, it's funny because he would end up doing some of the runs with us. So even as, I guess at the time, he must have been in his late 40s, early 50s, he would still do the long runs with us on mm-hmm. Sundays on occasion, at least when the weather was nice out. And also you you just end up learning about what it means to be tough. What What is toughness? And 
there were so many times where people would kind of not give their best 110% effort in a workout. And he would look at you and be like, why are you doing this? Why, why exactly are you here? And one of my favorite sayings from Marcus, or at least lessons learned is when um, sophomore year and I, I was running well, but it was the start of the year and he wanted to make sure I was absolutely focused. And he told me, he's like, Chris, there are going to be three things that are really important in your life. And you can only do two of them right. You can really only focus on two of them at the moment. And he said, at the moment, you're going to have to focus on school and academics. You're going to have to focus on your, your running career. And then you're also going to have to focus on your friendships and relationships, be it perhaps even girlfriends. And he was like, only two of those you'll be able to do well at once. So really make the decision now as to which two matter to you. And that's going to be your focus and how you end up leaving your legacy at Villanova. That's pretty cool. I mean, he makes a great point. I mean, athletes specifically, you know, especially with all the time and all the effort and energy you have to put into it. Um, you know, it, they're very hard to spend all that time. I mean, I remember, you know, whatever class was what it was. I mean, when I went to Rutgers, it was great school, business school there was awesome, but I spent way more time in the library than I actually did in the classroom studying for the classes. Right. Um, and thankfully I wasn't an athlete, so I didn't have to make that decision. Um, I guess, thankfully for me, because I really do enjoy my friends. I'm sure you do too. But I mean, it makes sense. Like athletes just have so much. There's only 24 hours in a day. Um, and, you know, being an athlete, I mean, you have to choose how you spend those 24 hours and you have to sleep because you need the recovery, especially with running. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. That's, that's a pretty, pretty great way to uh, live by. So I have to assume you picked sports and academics. <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, at least did my best to. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like you can't talk to friends. It's not like you can't do things or see people, right? Um, but I understand yeah. where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fine balancing act. It's it's sometimes when you're making a decision. Uh, for example, when Villanova made it to the final four, my my sophomore year, and when everyone won the game and we ended up beating uh, Pittsburgh, everyone wanted to go out and go drinking at some of the the bars. Mm -hmm. It's you can't, you have to make a decision. It's like, okay, we have big East next week. Mm -hmm. Am I going to do that and kind of set myself back and feel a bit lethargic for the coming days? Or am I going to be disciplined and stay in and have a reasonable 11 PM bedtime? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. Hey man. I mean, especially March madness, Villanova, they're, they're very synonymous um, either with winning or huge upsets, which is kind of funny, but it is what it is. And, you know, Very hey, you, you, you rock and roll. And I mean, especially over Pitt, because they were both in the Big East for a while. So rivals and everything. I mean, that's, that's, that's very disciplined of you to not go out. I, I have to commend you there, man. That's true. I, I miss the old Big East rivalries too. Yeah. With, um, when you have Villanova, Georgetown, UConn, Notre Dame, Louisville. Syracuse, it's, right? It's Syracuse. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And at the track meets, the energy, especially in the indoor meets, the energy is remarkable. So I, I miss those days a lot, but still enjoy welcoming the, the new schools. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's different. Um, but let's be honest, football runs everything. And if football decides something, that's just what's going to happen. So um, you have schools like UConn that are kind of just left outside of all these different situations, which I always thought was very weird. But hey, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. So from that, I would like to then transition into your um, finance career. I know you've worked at some incredible places. You've worked at Citibank, obviously now working at uh, Pro Capital Partners. What, um, what was it about finance that attracted you to it? Hmm. Uh, funny enough, I was an English literature major in college and as focused, I, I actually, 
so wanted to be a journalist uh, in all mm-hmm. honesty and both of my parents have a extensive career in, in banking. They, they worked at Lehman Brothers together, which is actually where they met. Mm-hmm. And then they actually started their own company together called Williams Capital Group. Um, and that was around 1992. Uh, I, I spent a lot of dinners <laughs> hearing them discuss banking. And I have a younger sister as well as four years younger. And over time, there, there would be times where we'd interrupt dinner and say, guys, can we talk about something other than work? But I think that had a heavy influence on my decision to go into finance, I think for two reasons. One, when you're surrounded by, by the language and the lingo, you, you, it starts to become a little bit more natural and you become curious about how you can get involved and what facets of investment banking there are. And then the second thing is you, um, it, you start to see the work ethic, especially as entrepreneurs, uh, my parents spending weekends in the office, late nights, it's, you start to appreciate the work ethic that it goes through to be an entrepreneur, especially in the banking world. So uh, part of my inspiration after getting a foundation at JP Morgan and Citibank was to eventually try and start my own thing that was my own and of my own interest. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, Pro Capita Partners fit that bill and that's my decision as to why I, I ended up coming over here. It makes sense, man, but what happened to the journalism part? That sounds like it would've been fun. <laughs> It got left by the wayside. I, in this case, I actually chose um, the paycheck over the passion. All right. Hey, man. And it sounds like you're pretty passionate about what you do now, especially the fact that you get to work with athletes and you get to help people. That's always very important. So, um, you know, hey, man, pick up a microphone. Anybody can be in the media now. It's not very hard. Look at me. It's it's really not that difficult. It's like you're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Um, But so, so talk to me a little bit about Pro Capita Partners and exactly what you do, but also really what the firm does as a whole. Sure. So Pro Capita Partners is a multifamily office focused on serving the athlete and artist community, as well as high net worth individuals. So as a multifamily office, there are a number of facets of our business focused on providing wealth management services, um, also family office services, such as bill pay and providing tax guidance. Um, and then we also have specialty solutions, which help provide guidance around how to pay for big purchases and entrepreneurial ventures. Um, these services really create a one-stop shop for an athlete or artist if they're looking to have their, their entire wealth really controlled and, and foreseen. Um, an additional vertical of our business, which is really interesting and is to be launched in the coming weeks, is focused on financial education and mental health awareness. Um, and this is led by a partner in our group by the name of Alvin Williams, who is a uh, 10-year NBA vet for the Toronto Raptors and also a Villanova alum, class of 97. Um, and, and Alvin and I have been working side by side in order to figure out exactly how we can encompass um, lessons learned and storytelling into being more relatable to teaching lessons for student athletes and also athletes that are in the midst of their career journey. And I've learned a lot from Alvin just as to how to really bring this message to life. And what we've done is we've been able to combine innovation, storytelling, and financial planning all in one with also including the mental health aspects. So the emotions that you go through as mm-hmm. an athlete during that time. And it, it's been really fun. So that vertical of our business separate from the wealth management side really really exciting yeah that's um that's a really great idea um considering 
mental health and finance almost go hand in hand. I mean, where does most stress come from? Where does most divorces, why do most divorces happen? It, it usually centers around finances and it's because either something's wrong with the finances or you're doing something wrong with your finances. And that obviously leads to stress, that leads to depression, that leads to a lot of other things. So tying those two things together is, is really, really smart on your guys' end and being able to help people understand, A, how to be educated and what to do, but then also, as you said, to control those emotions. I think that's a great idea. Um, how did you guys come up with this? Alvin's experience. Just It's really the decision-making process and, and how much of an impact that those decisions make. Um, it, it's interesting, man. It's all of a sudden when you have, you end up, you're 19 years old and you come into an enormous amount of wealth, you end up having friends and families that ask you for, money mm -hmm. and they they want and you have to make the mature decision as to whether you give that money or perhaps you end up saying no which is hard to do mm -hmm. um, additionally you have I, I can think of a number of circumstances and stories which is why i'm a little overwhelmed right now but just even at a super young age we were at a, a recreation center the other day and a 13 year old kid huge She's already six, six foot three, Whoa. 200 pounds. And uh, the rec center was saying that they went to a prep school the other day to see a high school team play. And this prep school was kind of whispering in the kid's ear saying, hey, you should consider our school and these are the things that we can do for you. It, already at 13 years old, the decision-making process is starting to be clouded. Mm -hmm. So if that 13-year-old starts to accept any gifts from that prep school, Perhaps when they're in high school and colleges start approaching them, they might continue to make those poor decisions and they're on and so forth through their professional career. So how do you really get to these kids at a young age and really hone the decision making process and let them know the impacts that can be made? I think that's, yeah, that's the most important part, especially with, I feel like it happens more in, in basketball and then still a lot in football as well, where some of these things start at such a young age. Um, but it's definitely important for people and, and kids to understand. Cause I mean, that was always one thing I know it's happening a little bit more now, but I never learned about finances in high school. Like I never learned about taxes or a mortgage. Like it's literally the, the thing people pay attention to almost the most in their life. And they don't really teach you about it until never. You just kind of have to learn about it on your own or talk to smart people like yourself. So, so by doing that in the beginning, I think will help a lot and get people to understand that just because you're making a million dollars today, does not mean you're making a million dollars tomorrow, especially in sports. I mean, what's the average lifespan of an NBA player? Like three years and change maybe? Three, I mean, years, yeah. NBA, NFL is even less. It's like 2.5. Um, and most of those guys, the guys that leave early, you know, average means there's half of the people that leave under that number, right? Or, or whatever, you know, the actual, uh, you're a math guy, not me. But, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's so many people that get in. And as you said, they'll just get asked things and people want stuff from them. And you know, what 19 year old kid's going to be like, no, Aunt Susie, like, I'm not going to give you, you know, money to pay for my cousin's uh, college. Like, why would I do that? That's good. You know, so it's, it's unfortunate. But, um, you know, it's definitely good that people like yourself are out there to help give these pe these kids essentially, I mean, what 19 year old isn't a kid still yeah, just an idea you know. of how like to work in this world. Yeah. And, and you touch on a good point, Michael, it's also the sibling and spousal support as well. That, that you go through it's it, it's all encompassing it's just between your decision making process how you handle family interactions and then if you have all these distractions the impact that it has on you on the court as well how can you really play at your 
optimal performance if you have all these distractions going on in the background weighing on you. So we just want to alleviate that stress and also through Alvin telling his story and also advisory board members and our network telling their stories, hopefully this will help um, the students really avoid those circumstances and be able to live a more seamless lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, yeah, it, it's nice. I mean, you're a great guy, um, but it's also probably pretty nice to have a 10 year MBA vet uh, telling those stories, <laughs> right? That probably makes, makes those sales calls a little bit easier. Hey, you know, this guy played in the MBA for 10 years. Want him to come talk to your students? I think most people are going to be open to that. Yeah. Well, that, to that point, it, it becomes so much more relatable. It's yep. someone who actually lived it. So when you bring in Alvin and then you bring in Chauncey Billups, who's also on our advisory board, and they actually are able to discuss situations that they've been through, it, it makes it so much more digestible. So that, that's really the point. And I, I think there are a lot of people out there that perhaps do talk about financial education and do talk about the mental health side, but have they actually been able to do it in a storytelling format that resonates with kids and also young professionals that are heading into the league? And it's also like, let's be honest, it's, it's very hard for just people in general to pay attention, let alone kids. I mean, again, if you put someone like Chauncey Billups or, or you know, Alvin Williams in front of them, they're going to pay attention. <laughs> their, their eyes yeah. are going to be a little bit wider. Their mouths might be open a little bit longer. Um, so I think it's really cool that you guys have, uh, have been able to build this team and, and you're working specifically on that project. I think um, it's a really just awesome way of going about, you know, helping kids and you know i don't know you know how you guys get paid on that if you guys get paid on that but for whatever reason i mean you're still at least giving back to the community at at a level where nobody's really helping these kids at all with finance or really mental health it's talked about but i mean that's the weirdest time in your life right when you're 14 15 years old you know what the heck's going on <laughs> sure yeah and uh, we have we have had to turn it into a product just in yeah order of course to make it sustainable so that way at least paying for travel and covering it but that's and Alvin and I discuss this all the time. It's that's not the main goal is is to really make money off of this product. It's how do we just end up giving back to the community and the wealth management side. That's that's the revenue generator of the business. This side, if it brings in revenue, that's excellent. But really, just create a sustainable platform for us to continue to do what we do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. That, that's all we ask. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously you shouldn't have to take a loss on something like this, considering the value that you guys are giving, considering the stories, the, the authenticity um, of the people involved. Of course, you should get paid in some capacity. But as you said, the wealth management parts where we're making the money. Um, this is just a nice way. I'm a big karma guy. Um, so I do believe, you know, doing something along those lines is it's not going to hurt. It definitely is not going to hurt. <laughs> we hope so. We hope so. Good stuff, and, uh, man. And, and Michael, I, I I didn't mention what I specifically do at Pro oh, as well. Oh, we'll get there. The Don't worry. Okay. Right. We'll get cool. there. We'll get there. I, I still I still got some. That that was just a very interesting little tangent we went on because I don't think you told me about that last time. So I was that was some uh, genuine question asking. And this is this is why you should have been a journalist, man. <laughs> no, no, no. This is why you shouldn't have been a journalist because you can still just do it. It doesn't really matter. Um, In my next life. Yeah. There you go. There you go, man. Um, so. At ProCapita, I definitely want to understand a little bit more about the business as well. So you guys focus, as you said, on athletes, entertainers, and high, uh, high wealth individuals, high net worth individuals. Why athletes and entertainers? We understand why you go after high net worth individuals. You're a, you're a financial firm. You got to find money. That's how, you make, that's how you make money. But why the athletes and why the entertainers? Considering the, it's, it's, it's a 1% thing again, right? Like we all look at how much money Aaron Rodgers and Russell, Wilson's, Russell Wilson makes. Um, we see Patrick Mahomes still makes about $2 million a year. But as we said before, there's so many people that, 
you know, they'll make 400 grand and then in, in you know, 18 months, they're not making anything anymore. So why exactly the athletes and the entertainers? Sure. It, it really begins with the branding power that these athletes and artists have. It's you, you have an incredible platform and network and, and marketability as, as an athlete and artist. And there's also become a theme of entrepreneurship that's really come up. And I think last time we, we spoke, Michael, is also around the, um, I, I kind of said it started with the Golden State Warriors, or at least that's when mm-hmm. I noticed it, when all of a sudden you have the Warriors super successful in Silicon Valley, and they have all these executives that are sitting courtside watching them play. And naturally, you're going to have players having discussions with these executives. Hey, man, they're <laughs> and, there to see you. You could at least be nice and say hi, right? <laughs> exactly. And it, it's a natural network. So all of a sudden, these players who have an abundance of wealth are, are starting to think, hey, like, it's interesting. I want to learn a little bit more about what you do. And there forms how you get become a partner and in investing a bit of capital into venture capital, maybe dabbling in, in private equity, real estate. But what's important is making sure that these deals are vetted and, and understood. And at ProCapita, our goal is to put, whenever a player is interested in being involved in alternative investment deals, making sure that they're put in vetted deals that, and ideally funds with a high track record of performance. So as opposed to even betting on a unicorn idea and let's say throwing a million dollars in and saying, really like this company, it's a sexy company, great idea, and I I like the CEO, I I hope it works out. How about we actually look at 10 different companies and spread that that million dollars over 10 $100,000 investments, and therefore you're hedged. You're, You're at least diversified enough where let's say only three of those deals really work out, you're put in a much better place than, than you were if you just had that $1 million and hoping for that unicorn investment to take off. You, you don't want it to be an all or nothing bet. Yeah, I mean, so, that's, a, that's a lottery ticket at that point, right? Like this way, at least there's a strategy. I mean, if you're just throwing a million dollars at a company that just because you like them, um, I mean, talk to day traders. Does, does that work all the time? No, not really. No, no uh, not at all. And it's it's something that's become exciting though you've noticed that athletes are getting heavily involved with with brands even as equity ambassadors i was speaking to one of my favorite agents the other day who he was saying he's like listen he's like how about as opposed to putting capital into a deal it's like because let's say it's an early stage deal um how about if they need help mitigating marketing dollars i can have an individual actually become an equity ambassador where they will end up putting out a series of videos, very personalized videos, saying how great this product or company is. And then after that, they just have a small piece of equity in the company, but they're invested in ensuring that this company yeah. is successful and does well. That's awesome. Yeah, there's there's so many ways, especially now with social media and the internet um, that, you know, 10, 15 years ago even, I mean, Twitter was a thing, but it's it's not Twitter. <laughs> now it's Twitter. It was not what it is. It, it, it was not the same 10 years ago. Um, same thing, Instagram. I remember the first time I heard about Instagram, that was in college. So, you know, this was only 2011. Uh, and now, you know, it is one of the biggest you know, pieces of real estate on the internet is to be on certain people's Instagram feeds. It's crazy. Um, and you make a good point. I feel like, again, just going back to the NBA, I feel like they've always been a little bit more progressive. And because it's it's a very star-driven league, they these 
things tend to happen there first. I mean, I'm probably wrong, but at least that's in, in what I see is what it's happened. I mean, let's, you know, you know obviously um, very unfortunate news with Kobe Bryant, but he was always huge into business and more and more stories keep coming up over this last week of just, you know, I heard the uh, gentleman, um, Michael Rubin uh, from Fanatics just talking, you know, he, Kobe would call him all the time just to ask him business questions. And we see right after he retires, he, he launches into the business world. I think he starts a, a fund and everything. Like he, he was going nuts. I mean, look at Kevin Durant and everything he's doing. I mean, he just hangs out in Silicon Valley and invests in companies and does his thing. Obviously, everything LeBron's doing is incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have the, the social power, if you have an opportunity, I mean, instead of putting money into it, why not put your face on it? You know, that's even, you know, money's, especially certain guys, they're going to make more money, you know, whatever, a million dollars is I'm not going to say it's, you know, nothing to them, but just wait till your next contract, man, right? Um, putting your face on something can sometimes even be more personal and, and a bigger risk almost because it's your, it's your legacy. That's you. That's your person. Um, you know, if something goes wrong, people are going to look at you. They're not going to look at the CEO of the company because no one knows who the hell that guy is. They're going to look at the athlete that's endorsing it. it it's very true. And uh, on the topic of equity ambassadors, it's, this is perfect for an Olympic athlete, for example. It's someone who even may not have a, a ton of capital, but they have enormous amount of branding power. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's unfortunate because Olympic athletes get seen every every two years if you're including winter and summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. But it, it's the branding power leading up to the Olympics and directly after is absolutely when it's appropriate to optimize that that image that you've created for yourself and the success and hard work that you've put in. So ideally, yes, the NBA, NFL athletes, they, they do very well when it, when it comes to capital. It's how do we end up helping some of these athletes and sports that aren't seen on a regular basis, like track and field, endurance sports across the, across the board, uh, winter Olympic sports. It, these are people with enormous branding power and months after the Olympics, you're inspired by them. But yeah, let's, let's let them in on some deals as well as equity ambassadors. I'm all for it, man. I love the idea. Uh, and I know a guy who knows a few Olympic athletes too. So, Hey, maybe we can uh, figure something <laughs> out with him uh, at some point. Um, but no, I just think, I think the way you're going about it, I think is, is really, really cool. Obviously you being an athlete, um, you know, obviously we've said a couple of NBA players currently, um, that are out of the NBA, obviously Chauncey Billups, Chauncey Billups being, you know, NBA champion and everything that always helps. Does he wear his rings to all the meetings and everything? I'm always curious. <laughs> no, no, no. He, Chauncey, Chauncey's a humble guy. He's, he's, he's really great and a great friend of Alvin's. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really enjoyed getting to work with Chauncey. And I, I think he's been a, an example of someone who's been a perfect ambassador for the sport. Um, and spends time in New York, is out in LA, also doing some color commentating right now. Um, and just someone who, who wants to figure out a way to give back. That, that's the important part. And that's really the premise of our advisory board is industry professionals, whether they've been in sport or just around the sports and entertainment industry as executives, and even in the financial side as well. And uh, what type of guidance that can they provide to our younger clientele? And also just, again, leading back to the decision-making process, leading back to any key advice they can provide. So really acting as mentors, not only for our clients, but also for us at ProCapita. That's perfect. We are a young team. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys have only been doing this a few years now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's perfect because my next question was going to be, 
how, what do these uh, current and former NBA players do? But you did a very good job at explaining exactly what that is. Um, so I think that's awesome. I know you have a couple other people out there on the team. I don't think we have to say any names, but uh, unless you want to, of course. Uh, but no, I think there's some, some cool stuff that you guys are doing and it's really interesting. So I guess, I know you are on the alternative investment side of it and we spoke about that a little bit, but what exactly is an alternative investment? Sure. So this is anything outside of your traditional stock market deal, whether it's equity, which is dealing with stocks or fixed income, dealing with bonds and debt. So outside of that scope of work, it's really focused on private equity deals, which are deals acquiring, acquiring companies and helping them grow. Uh, venture capital, really providing that seed funding in order to watch a company go from a pre-seed to series A, B, C, et cetera and ideally to an IPO stage. And last but not least, you, you also have real estate deals. Um, real estate deals, it could be commercial, it could be multifamily homes, but ensuring that these structures are well-funded in order to build the project end-to-end and also make perhaps amendments to existing properties in order to help enhance them further. So that's a lot of stuff, man. Um, do you, so you have to be up to date on all of this constantly. And I mean, how much work is, you know, are you doing between six and nine where it's just research? The, the volume is crazy because you, not to mention you end up getting one-off deals that are sent your way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a client that wants you to take a look at a deal and just ask for an opinion, or all of a sudden you can have a fund that's saying, hey, look, have a new company that we're looking to raise for in the next three weeks. Um, in three weeks, I'm like, man, that's not that much <laughs> so time. To, All right. Sounds right. good. So yeah. And between that time you have to vet the deal. You have to then go out and see which clients, which agents might be interested in the deal. And then perhaps there is interest and you've done all this work and it's paid off. And there's also another part where you've done all this work and due diligence and no one has any interest in investing. So, mm-hmm. you know, a company incredibly well, but there are no investment dollars that are being invested into it. Oh no, that's uh, kind of funny. Yeah. Hey, it happens though, right? Yeah, it happens. And I mean, it, to that point, it's really about putting clients into the deals that we feel are best suited for them as well. So you also wanted to align with their interests and their values. Um, sustainability has been a huge topic as of late. So um, anything that's digital, sustainable, those typically resonate a lot more with the athlete clientele that we work with. Mm-hmm. And that, that you make a really good point. You wanted to align with what they believe in, right? Like I work in the sponsorship space, but the whole, the whole way I look at it is I want to align an athlete and a brand that have the same morals, missions, and values, because that is a super authentic, that is, that is a great partnership where both teams can win, where both people can get something out of it and see that it's, it's successful. If you're just saying, you know, brand X want to give you money and they say yes, but they don't, use the product or care about the product or the service, that's not going to be very helpful. Um, and you're going to be able to see that. You're going to be able to feel that I'm a very big, you know, I believe in energy and, and, you know, some people like to call them vibes and I'm all about it. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where if you don't really have these things connected at the right spot, it's not going to turn out well and everyone's probably going to be angry. The athlete's going to be okay because they made out with some money, but that the athlete wants that deal for a couple of years. They don't want it just for this one off time. Right. So you make a really good point. And, and even though with some of these, you know, as you said, sometimes they do put their faces on it, but not all the, the at all times they don't. So I think it's really interesting that you're still trying to authentically align the athlete with the company to make sure it is something not just, Hey, this can make you a bunch of money. It's 
hey, this can make you a bunch of money. It's actually something you care about. Yeah, you, you have to because there, there's so much information that is sent to athletes on a daily basis, which is why they have managers and agents to help filter through some of that. But man, it's just you really want to not waste their time. Mm -hmm. And just to be blunt, it's how do you just send them things through a conversation that you initially had? And how do you show that you are listening? You're listening to everything that they said and that you're looking to provide value to their life and their mission and their interests, as opposed to just, here's the world being dumped at you. Let me know what seems interesting. That's just not a good use of their time. No, absolutely. And as you said, like they get so much stuff thrown at them. There's the agent to filter some of it, but he can't possibly know about all these real estate deals, these potential companies that are going IPO and everything that you do. So if it at least looks slightly enticing, he'll send it over to you. You do your research and you can come back with a legitimate answer and a legitimate um, recommendation on, hey, this actually makes sense or hey, this is not something we want to pay attention to. So I think that you're kind of that extra level that extra filter that um, can sometimes be more important because if someone's going to throw a million plus dollars at something, uh, they at least need someone to vet it, right? <laughs> yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. Good stuff, man. And then so I guess with, with this company, with, I mean, working with Chauncey Billups and some of these other incredible, incredible athletes, um, you know, what's, what's the vision for the company moving forward? I know it's relatively young, especially in terms of you know, let's look at Goldman Sachs or BlackRock. Um, you know, we, we, you got a little while till we even get to that level. But I mean, what, what's the vision moving forward for your specific part of the business, the alternative investment part, but then also, I guess, just the company as a whole? Yeah, so in, in my specific part, just really access to additional deals and funds. It's, um, I know I said it's a little bit overwhelming to receive all this information, but having access to funds that are fairly exclusive, uh, that's key. Um, you, want, you want access to these high-performing funds that also carry many of the sexy brand name deals. So forming relationships with various venture firms and private equity firms and real estate funds, that's, that's huge. And we just keep expanding our network month over month just through conversations and, um, and also with the athlete names that we do have, it, it does help provide that additional access even further. And ideal on the, the wealth management side, keep growing in assets. The, the more assets we have in-house, then the more we can also play in the alternative investment space. Uh, but we really do want to be a full service, multifamily office, really being able to serve your entire needs on, on your, your life and scope of work. So um, yeah, it's it just grow. Keep bringing in the, the assets under management and access to additional deal flow. That's, that's it. And that makes sense. I get, you know, obviously, as you said, it's, it's nice to have the, the faces that you guys do because that probably opens up doors already, but it's also X dollars under management. Um, the, the higher that X gets, uh, I'm sure the more, the more opportunities will come your way as well because it shows you're legitimate and what you guys are really doing. Sure. And, and also with the revenue generated from that side of the business, it also gives us more room to play on the financial education and mental health side. So it all goes hand in hand. It's, it's one big ecosystem that we want to be able to service these athletes and artists' lives, but also find a way to give back to the community. So therefore providing social impact 
That's that is it. perfect. That perfect, man. I love it. And so just a little shameless plug, if people made it this far in the episode because they were so interested, <laughs> if you go back and listen to Evan Spencer, 2014 national champion in Ohio State, Evan actually created his own real estate fund in the cannabis industry. Um, so I'm going to hopefully connect the two of you after after we hop off this call because he's an incredible dude and what they're doing is so interesting. It, most of it went over my head, but he explained it and I was I was in. I was totally, he's so passionate about it that I was, I was with him. Um, I didn't really totally understand that though. So hopefully you can go back and listen to that one. But Chris, this was absolutely fantastic. Sincerely appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy guy. So giving me a couple minutes, 40, 45 minutes, whatever it is, I really do appreciate it. Um, and yeah, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much. No, Michael, thanks again. And really appreciate everything that you're doing and look forward to keeping the relationship going. Can't wait, man. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes of For the Love of Sports. On a personal note, I want to show some extra gratitude to everybody out there. This is my favorite thing that I get to do. So by you listening, um, it truly gives me an extra reason to do it. Uh, I was going to do it anyway, but thanks for thanks for sticking in this long. Uh, if there's anything I can do better, please let me know. I'm always looking to get better. I, I'm trying to get more reps. The more reps, the better I get, more practice, the uh close to the opportunity is to getting paid to do something like this so i would sincerely appreciate that if you all could please rate review subscribe and share um specifically on itunes five star reviews are pretty great they help with the algorithm a lot so anyone out there on apple it would take you about four seconds um so if you can give me a couple extra seconds of your time i would really appreciate it make sure to follow me um on the socials um i think it's michael Raziel or michael period Raziel everywhere check it out um, shoot me an email if you have any questions michael period Raziel one at gmail so i really threw for a loop there but other than that sincerely appreciate it thank you guys so much and i hope you make it a wonderful day yes.